Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Bible in the News. As we look at the year ahead of us, as we just begin 2022, we wonder what will happen in the year to come. You don't have to be a prophet to see that we will be dealing with more COVID-19. There's many areas in the world, including here in Canada, where the new variant is spiking and cases are going through the roof. Habakkuk 3 verses 3 to 5, which we believe is prophetic, it talks about the pestilence going before him as it sees the Lord coming up from the south before he enters Jerusalem to save it. That being the case, we can't help but wonder whether maybe this could be the pestilence that goes before the coming of the Lord. One of the things that we saw in 2021 is the spotlight that was on the corruption of world governments. Whether that's here in Canada, in the United States, China, anywhere in the world you look, corruption is rampant and authoritarianism is on the rise. So we see places like China and Russia that personal freedoms are being trampled on. And this picture that you see of the man being arrested in China, he is apparently a protester that is being arrested. Even in Western countries, it's becoming obvious that authoritarianism is on the rise. Governments are cracking down and doing things by fiat that before we would not have imagined to be the case. The COVID-19 pandemic has been bringing this out. There have also been war threats, threats from Russia and China and Iran, and reciprocal threats to react in such a case um, by other nations like the United States. Israel has been talking about going in to take out Iran's nuclear program, and any of these things could spark a wide-scale conflict that could bring the world to world war. One that I'd particularly like to highlight is the one in Ukraine. Russia has amassed at least 100,000 troops on the border, it has been reported. This amounts to about 50 units, and by way of comparison, when they went in in 2014, it was about eight. So it's quite a massive military buildup, and the world is wondering exactly what they're doing with those, whether it's to apply pressure or if they are actually planning on invading Ukraine. The media often simplifies such conflicts, and it really isn't justified. If you look at the details, um, you have the West doing things that are antagonizing Russia, and you have Russia responding and doing things that are antagonizing the West. Russia is very against there being NATO forces and NATO expansion into these countries. And going back earlier in the 2000s, there was a um, there was what's known as the Orange Revolution. There was um, a pro-Russian government in Ukraine, and that was um, that was brought down. And um, it's quite well known that the United States was behind that to bring revolution against the pro-Russian government. And the gov the government that was brought in instead, one of the first things they did was to outlaw the Russian language in public use, although they quickly backtracked on that. But it just shows the, the racial and cultural tensions that there are in that country. In the West, we like to simplify it as Russian aggression. And for sure there is that. And for sure they are amassing a massive amount of troops on the border. But when you look at the details, it is a little bit of tit for tat and um, warmongering perhaps on both sides. Daniel chapter 11 verse 40 talks about antagonism between the king of the north and the king of the south. Reading the verse on the screen there, Daniel chapter 11 verse 40, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, 
and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. There have been many people that have equated the hymn in this verse with Turkey. Um, but I'm not sure that that is entirely, entirely justified by the context. If you, if you read through the verse, definitely a surface reading has a conflict between the king of the north and the king of the south. Brother John Carter pointed this out in the Christadelphian many, many years ago. And Brother Thomas in the exposition of Daniel has the king of the south here pushing being an action of Egypt against the king of the north. I feel like although those southern powers south of Israel um, may be involved, it's the dominant power of the south that I think is particularly pointed to. And the reason that I would say that is because the original king of the south was a Grecian power that was in occupation of Egypt and some of those southern areas. So we're not necessarily looking for the nation that's there, but a dominant force that's over that area. Now, if we compare that with Ezekiel chapter 38, where it talks about the forces that oppose the king of the north, or Gog, as it's called in that chapter, when he comes down and um, attacks Israel, and amasses his forces against them. We see that there's a little group of nations there, um, including Tarshish and the young lions thereof. So they, Tarshish has been strongly equated with Britain. There's many um, articles in the Bible magazine and Bible in the news editions that will fill in the, de the details on that. But if we plug that in here as well, that the main force that is um, predominant in the south that has an interest in this area the 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 one that would be to the south where you would see you know the United States and Great Britain and NATO kind of allies and forces you'd find that with Egypt you'd find it with Saudi Arabia Gulf nations and and many of those the the the, the south in Hebrew is the Negev and that would refer to um, a lot of those areas it's not a very specific term if we look at the Hebrew for this little phrase from the verse um, it would read in Hebrew, If you break that down, the first two letters of the first word, U is for and, so the U is and, and Ve is in, so and in, at is time, so and in time, Kites is end, so in the end time, the next one is the one that we really want to um, pay attention to, um, which we'll look at in a second, but it's the, the word that is translated push, and then emo is with him, so it's not necessarily against him, but with him, there's reciprocal action, and then melech is king, and hanegev is the south. So we think about that word, the, um, the one that's push, it's a different form of Hebrew, and we don't always focus on the forms of Hebrew, but it's very important. And if you think of it in English, you know, if we look at the example I have here of walking, different things that you do to that word make a significant difference. In Hebrew, this is even more the case, and there's more forms that can be added to words to make them mean different things. Now, the reason that I point that out is because if we look at this word, how it actually appears in the text is at the top, and then if you look at the word, if you look up the definition, you just have the three letters that's showing you the definition of the root. So the, the first two letters are the form of that verb. With that in mind, if we read the definition, it's to push, to thrust, or to gore. And the cal, which is one of the forms, is to gore, uh, and so on. And then the pl is to push or thrust at. And then he's got some more details on that. 
and the hippeo is to engage in thrusting with and to or to wage war with now this verse with or sorry now this word with that beginning prefix of the yod and the taf makes it the hippeo form so that is actually part of the word it's clearly there in the text and we need to pay attention to it in the definition it makes the word mean to engage in thrusting with or to wage war with here's another definition from another lexicon um, just to emphasize this so it's got the cow to gore pale to gore to push back to butt and the hip hail to engage in pushing back butting or thrusting so it's a it's a two-way thing that you're engaging with and we saw that clearly in the hebrew that um, it had this verb and then with him so there's definitely a reciprocal action and um, it's the king of the north and the king of the south kind of engaging in this butting back and forth now if you watch sheep or animals they kind of face each other off they stare each other down and they might dart and pull back and then they butt the other one and there's kind of this duel that goes on and they engage in butting with each other there's this kind of war that goes on we've seen that through very many years now with those northern powers like russia and it was as it was the ussr you could see the same kind of thing in world war one and world war two it has been pointed out that maybe those wars are part of this verse that it's just a very short summary but there's the duel that's going on back and forth in many years that have gone by you've had a bit of an east-west kind of orientation we talk about the east and the west but um, in terms of relation to Israel, if you place yourself in Israel and look north, you see, um, you know, now you think you've got just right to the north, you've got Russia right there in Syria and, and down south. Um, those countries that are to the south, they're more friendly toward Israel and they are aligned with, um, maybe it would be going a bit too far to say that some of those are aligned with Israel. You have the Gulf nations now that are getting quite cozy with Israel, um, but they're definitely aligned with the United States and they are in the United States, Britain, and those NATO countries, they're, they're in their sphere of influence. So from, a, from an Israeli point of view, from the land of Israel, you would see a power to the north it would be Europe and Russia, and to the south, there's a different sphere of influence. So if we plug that into the verse, you've got, at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen, with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So what you've got is you've got this dueling that's going on, and they are engaging in budding with each other, and then the king of the north loses it and comes and attacks with a tremendous force and, and enters into the countries and does many terrible things. So I really think we do ourselves a disservice if we rule out this reading of the passage. Um, it is a straightforward reading of it and it has great implications for us. And we need to be aware of that so that we can prepare ourselves mentally and um, in any way that we can because we don't know at what time the resurrection will take place at what time we will be taken away and and what will happen and we don't know how long this verse takes um, if it's true about world war one and world war two i mean we've essentially been watching this for a hundred years um, you know god's timeline is god's timeline and exactly when the next phase comes along when the king of the north marches out and, and comes against him like a whirlwind, 
we don't know when that is. So I'd now like to play you just a little clip to highlight for you the, the depth, the extent, the, the gravity of the tensions that are there now in Ukraine over the current crisis. Roger Wicker serves uh, on the Armed Services Committee. Uh, Senator, we don't know a lot of what transpired in that phone call. Uh, we do know uh, that Vladimir Putin still has those 100,000-plus Russian troops on that border. Uh, do you think he'll hold off? Well, I hope he does. There are two schools of thought on this. One is that it's a, it's a ruse, that he really doesn't have any intention of going in, instead using it as a bargaining chip. Um, a lot of other people think that uh, uh, an invasion could take place and could take place within weeks. I'll just say this. Uh, Vladimir Putin has surprised the West twice, once in 2008 in Georgia, uh, invading a sovereign nation who was struggling to get out from under the Soviet domination and, and become a democracy, and in 2014 with Ukraine. Uh, he uh, could very well surprise us again, and, and I, I hope, although maybe there was no finger wagging in the conversation from the president today, I hope there was a, uh, a show of resolve that we, we think this would be a game changer for free Europe, and it's something that the United States and our allies cannot tolerate. Senator, some of your Republican colleagues think that we should have troops in the region. They don't, never you know, delineate exactly how many, uh, or that they'd be utilized in an outright confrontation with Russia over the Ukraine, but their mere presence would be effective. What do you think of that? Actually, I think there are over 200 U.S. troops in Ukraine right now uh, under the uniforms of, uh, of the National Guard, perhaps from California, which is their partner National Guard organization, and perhaps also from Florida. So there are American troops uniformed in Ukraine now. Uh, so they're doing very little the, in that respect, the, if you think about it, to, to hold Putin back. He's obviously no, no, got but, these troops with them there, right? But, but they are there, and also okay. there's certainly nothing wrong with us, Neil, getting our, our troops it, in, in place in NATO countries that are treaty allies of ours. So I would be supportive of that. You know, I'm Senator, you this, he, Neil, I would not it. rule out, I would not rule out military action. I, I think we start, we start making a mistake when we take options off the table. So I, I would hope the president keeps that option on the table. And to the extent that he has agreed to, to reverse his mistake on Nord Stream 2, if that is in fact what came out of the, uh, out of, uh, the discussion today, uh, I would applaud that. Hope he does it. All right, what does military action mean, Senator? Well, military action uh, could mean uh, that, that we stand off with our ships in the Black Sea and, and we rain destruction on, uh, uh, on, mil on, on Russian military capability. It could mean that. It could mean that we participate. And I would not rule that out. I would not rule out American troops on the ground. We don't, do you know, we don't rule out uh, first use nuclear um, action. Uh, we, right. we, we don't think it'll happen, but there's certain things in negotiations, if you're going to be tough, that you don't take off the table. And so I think, we, I think the president should say that everything is on the table. And frankly, to the extent that you um, 
that you had Democrats on the show right before me being quoted as saying we need to be tougher. I support that and I appreciate that. I think they, they represent the fear that we have, the realization that we have in the Congress that losing a free democratic Ukraine to Russian invasion would be a game changer for a free Europe. All right, Senator Wicker, thank you very much. We'll watch it very, very closely. Okay, so there you go. I'd like to point a couple of things out. Um, one, this man is in the know. He is part of the um, he's part of the Armed Services Committee. He's right there in the government. And when he says we don't rule out the use of first strike nuclear, he he says we don't. He's not talking personally. I think we shouldn't, but he's saying we don't rule it out. Now, if you think of what that is saying, really is scary and insane. The, if there was a nuclear war between Russia and the United States, there would be mass devastation and it would be absolutely horrendous. But perhaps one of the reasons they would be saying that is they, they really want to dissuade Russia from taking this action. And they, they're really not sure that Russia has, if Putin has any intention of not doing it. And it is the truth at the moment that Russia is gaining, maybe has gained the upper hand in, in military capability. They have some advanced weapons that are beyond what the United States has. They have hypersonic missiles. Their air-to-air -air missiles are a bit ahead. And, and some, of these, some of these advantages in a war can make quite a big difference. And I saw a piece from an American, an American army official saying that if there was war, we really could not be sure that we would win. The same is also true of China, that China's military is now surpassing the United States. Um, the, area, the, the, the era of the United States being the dominant power in the world that all other countries just had to, uh, to look to and, and do what they said seems to be coming to a close. And this is something that makes good sense from Bible prophecy because in Ezekiel 38, we see that the nations are the, the southern nations that we were talking about, um, including the United States and Britain. They're either unwilling or unable to do anything about this northern country that is marching around, entering into all kinds of places and taking over, essentially rule of the world. Nobody appears to be there to stop them. So we could talk about that for a while and how that might be and how it might play out. And if there was a large world war like this where, you know, Russia was, um, Russia prevailed, um, they would feel a free hand to, to do all sorts of things. And, and who knows where that would lead. We have not yet seen the, the extent of the peace and safety that we expect in Israel that we see in Ezekiel 38. So I would feel that it would maybe be a little, a little bit premature um, to expect this just yet. But we don't know exactly how things will work out and how long things will take. Um, we only have the details that were given in Scripture. So we think of what could happen in the alliances that are there in Scripture. And we see that the beast system at the end is ridden by the Catholic Church that it's the woman riding the beast and the character of that woman and what we've seen in history of when the church gets ascendancy and the character that we've seen of some of these nations and some of the brutality of, um, of Putin's Russia, it's, it, it makes your hair curl. Um, so as we, we think of, for those of us living in any of these areas, even for, for me here in Canada, if, if war of this kind broke out, it would be a very scary prospect some of the details of exactly how events might play out, we might not know. But we do know what we do know, and we do know that there is to be this antagonism there and this butting back and forth between, I would say, the king of the north and the king of the south, which we have seen and 
it looks like we will continue to see, and if it if it transpires how the reading of the verse that way looks, we're looking at quite a major world war. I think this is something that we should be aware of and pay attention to and, um, and prepare ourselves. If we look through scripture, there's a number of verses like this one, Isaiah 48 verse 20, um, where it talks about fleeing from Babylon. Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans with the voice of singing, declare ye, tell ye this, utter it even to the end of the earth, say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. So this is a time of the redemption of Jacob, and there's a fleeing from Babylon, fleeing from the Chaldeans. Literally, Babylon was, of course, a rack, but there's the daughter of Babylon and the the um, and the woman in <clears throat> the woman in Revelation is called Babylon. We see the Catholic Church fulfilling that role as spiritual head. And if we think back to World War II. For anybody that was in Europe, that was a terrible time and not something that you'd want to live through. If you had have fled from it before the war, you would have been much better off. And um, especially if you're Jewish, you would likely have saved your life. So there's this verse in Isaiah 48, verse 20, that talks about fleeing from Babylon. Jeremiah 50, verse 8, Remove out of the midst of Babylon, go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as the he-goats before the flocks. So again, uh, words of warning to flee. Jeremiah 51, verse 6, Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Verse 45, My people, go ye out of the midst of her and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. Zechariah 2, Verse 6 and 7, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. So if you're skeptical about Babylon being equated with um, with these European nations, well, this is a verse that, which equates the land of the north, which from um, a perspective in Israel, if you go north of Israel, if you go far enough, you get to Moscow, and if you spread that out to a, a wider definition of the north, a little bit to the east and the west, then you start running into Europe. And, and, and those kind of areas. So, ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. And Revelation chapter 18, verse 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partaker of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. And I think rightly we've equated this with the Catholic Church, that we don't want to be associated with that church, we want to be out of it. It's been a persecutor of the saints, and there's the judgment of God coming against it. But I do feel that getting out of Catholic Europe, as the church comes to more prominence in that area, as he ascends the beast, you don't want to be in that area at that time. So when we look through that, this kind of sounds like a bit of doom and gloom, and there's bad things, and it's like the, the, the birth pangs of the woman in labor. As those happen, it's not a joyful time, but um, in the end, then there's a new baby born, and, and it's amazing. And so we look beyond this, and we see that these are the things that have to happen before the coming of the Lord and the establishment of the kingdom of Israel, um, the kingdom of God, 
when there will be true judgment and justice and righteous government in the world that will not be biased against people that are oppressed for one reason or another. The wicked will no longer be called righteous and the righteous will no longer be called wicked and the world will be put straight. Um, if we think of today's world, the thought, the true righteous judgments of God in it turn the world upside down. So Revelation chapter 11, verse 16 to 18, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power, and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. And Again, the nations are angry. They will be angry against God's people. They will be angry against what God's doing in the world. And they will come and they will unite against him. So the nations were angry and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead that they should be judged. That thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants the prophets and the saints and them that fear thy name, small and great. And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And so we see that this time of um, great judgment and the, the nations being angry and being in great conflict, this is the time that the kingdom is established. This is the time that the dead are raised and the world is transformed from the evil place that it is today into somewhere that's beautiful and glorious and, and shows the, the glory of God in it. Just one last verse as we close. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 to 8. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. A king shall reign and prosper and shall and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. May that day come soon. May it come quickly. And once again, we're at this time. We're at a time when people look out and say, God lives that brought back the children of Israel to their own land. We can look at that. We can see his hand. We can see it working in the nations in one way and another. And although there may be hard things to live through, there's a tremendous hope before us. And we need to look up and lift up our heads because our redemption draws nigh. Thank you, and join us again next week for more Bible in the News, God willing.